Welcome back to Where Do We Go From Here? And thank you once again for tuning in. On this, episode three of my series, Workplace Design, Past, Present, and Future, I interview Tim Kay, the Managing Director of Commercial Real Estate at Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL, and market leader for the Great Lakes region based right here in Detroit, Michigan. In this, my very first interview episode, I discuss with Tim the current state and more importantly, the future of the corporate office as we know it. So sit back and please enjoy. Thank you very much to Tim Kay, uh, somebody who I've known for quite a few years now, would you say, Tim? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. You know, Tim's uh, very much appreciate doing this podcast with me and allowing me to interview him. Tim, somebody, like I said, I've known for quite a while and very much respect uh, his opinion, especially on this subject, because he knows a lot about this. But instead of me talking about you, tell all the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. Well, I've been part of JLL's project and development services team for 17 years. I am managing director for the Great Lakes region. And um, prior to that, I was with Herman Miller for about 14 years, where I rotated through several positions, including a workplace strategy team, part of the National Workplace Strategy Group, and held a lot of different roles, product development, marketing, um, and then also dealer development um, at uh, Herman Miller, uh, all of which was, you know, basically project business. And I was approached by JLL in... 06 to talk about coming on board and um, leading and growing a team of project managers. So uh, happy to be here. Feel free to tell everybody who doesn't know JLL, and I'm surprised if oh, they don't. But no, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I will, I will. Sorry, yeah, JLL. Well, when I first started at JLL, it was Jones Lang LaSalle, and my friends, uh, n- no one had really heard of it because. Um, you know, my, my friends would think I was working for a law firm. They'd say, when did you go to law school? And like, well, I was pre-law and undergrad, but I didn't go to law school. So and back then, we really didn't have a, a presence up and down the street as far as brokerage and agency leasing. So you wouldn't see signs out on buildings saying JLL. Um, that's a business we got into only in the last, uh, in earnest, in the last you know, about 17 years when we bought the Staubach company. So um, we were known to investors and property managers, um, but not up and down the street to your average person. But the company is celebrating its 240th year in business, shockingly. Wow. Uh, founded in 1783 in uh, London, England. And um, we now have 108,000 employees globally. Um, in, in about 80 cities. And my practice is approaching a billion in fee uh, over the next, by the end of next year, we should hit a billion in, in fee revenue as a professional services firm inside of JLL. And we have 8,000 project managers around the world. So uh, managing every kind of project and program you can possibly think of across all the asset classes in the industry. So. Well, it's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah they've gotten it's grown a lot since i've been there yeah it's been quite a ride so piggybacking off my last episode that i recorded which you may you probably haven't heard yet because i haven't released it but it sort of discussed remote working from probably the early 2000s which was starting to kind of take hold anyway yeah and going through the pandemic and i'm curious to hear 
your thoughts on sort of that time frame and the whole idea of remote working and you yeah. guys went through it very intimately and yeah. what you're seeing both good and bad. Yeah, the remote working, you know, for it's funny for my project, my group, where it, it's it's very much like an architecture firm. You're either at client sites, you you your work is where you are. So we've always been kind of a, a nomadic work style in my group. But um, so working remotely was always part of our DNA. But, you know, when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, everyone had to learn about um, video conferencing and all the different platforms. And and the biggest phrase said in the early part of the pandemic was, oh, you're on mute. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) you know that annoying realization when your lips are moving and people are saying you're on mute so um yeah we you know the world had to learn learn quickly the biggest change i think for a lot of organizations was the trust there was a lot of folks out there a lot of uh middle and upper management that was from a school of if i don't see you in the office you're not working so culture was pushed to change and leadership teams around the country had no choice but to have some faith and trust of their employees that they'll actually do work in the home. And, um, you know, a lot of public institutions, which never embrace, universities never embrace this, but now they have and they're learning a lot. And I'll, I'll speak personally, my wife at University of Michigan, you know, her group has reduced real estate by quite a bit. Um, realizing that they don't need individual workstations and people are being quite productive by having them in a few days a week and um, having unassigned workstations and the ability to scale. The design of the office is scaling for surge when you have an all hands, right? So I think um, the genie's out of the bottle on remote, on hybrid, and um, but it's come full circle. I think a lot of companies... Uh, are being a little more assertive with their language around the importance of coming back to work. Um, I, yeah, I personally think it's critical and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that later on in this podcast, but no, I think, does that answer your question? It does. And you, you bring up a good point because uh, one of the things I come to know from you and appreciate over the years that I've known you is very much like myself, you're a student of a lot of things. Yeah. And so especially, you know, over the course of the pandemic and certainly for this, you know, series of podcast episodes, I did a lot of research and looking at productivity gaps and, you know, started finding that the remote work maybe works better for some and not for others. You've probably seen a lot of the same studies. Um, A lot of them tend to be on call centers because they're easy to get analytics out of. And not so much for like an architecture firm or other firms, but like, what are you seeing in that, you know, that quote unquote productivity gap and uh, the studies that I know you read? Well, yeah. And there's some, uh, a study came out just fairly recently in the last 30 days about indeed productivity is up when you're in the office, you are more productive in the office. Um, And I'll, I'll actually sort of pause on that for a second. Long commute time markets, big markets, uh, Chicago, L.A., Atlanta, New York, where people do have long commutes to come into an office. You know, I think an hour plus on the train uh, plus plus that kills productivity unless you're able to do some productive work on the plane on your phone or laptop or on the train. So 
but productivity's up in the office. When you're there, you're getting more done. And this is why it's been such a moving target. And a lot of leaders are sort of, you know, they've been waiting in the wings to see what other companies are doing and what the research is saying. But the research is saying we need to be in the office for all these reasons of uh, onboarding attraction, cultural propagation. And now, really, the holy grail is you're actually more productive in an office setting, you know, commute time aside. So... So you, you, one of the key words that I, I took out of what you said was culture. Like I remember pre, certainly pre-pandemic uh, when we interviewed young designers or young engineers, more on the millennial and the you know Gen Zs. The one thing that they always asked, "What's like? What's the culture like here?" So now we struggle, and I think a lot of people struggle. Like, how do you identify or create a culture when? maybe half or more working from home? Um, It's very hard. Um, First of all, we've known for years, for well over a decade, that young folks coming out of college have a lot more information than you or I did coming out of college. And their selection criteria is a lot more sophisticated than it was when we were coming out of school. They really want value alignment. They want to know that this company that I want to potentially work for aligns with my own values. And this is where What's your stance on the environment? Do you have a net zero uh, goal? What does the what does uh, all of the uh, different chat sites say about it? What what are you like to work for? What's this company like? And companies have enlightened companies have spent a lot of time sort of figuring out who they are, where they're going, what's the meaning of their business. People are looking for really a higher calling for what they do in their work. And what's the meaning of their work as it relates to improving their clients' lives or the lives of the planet or the life of the planet, I should say. So, yeah, culture is everything. You know, a long, long time ago in my early days at Herman Miller, the the CEO of IBM had said, culture just isn't a thing. Culture is everything. And it's very hard to establish and I use the word propagate, continue to grow that culture when you're not together. Also, learning. Most of what we need to know to do our job is learned informally. There's been research on that. You know, 70%, some some papers I've read, that's about 70% of what you need to know to do your job happens informally through mentorships, simply through overhearing what others are talking about. So that whole onboarding, career growth, finding a mentor to help you guide your career, that's huge and very important and very hard to do if you're remote most of the time. And since you are in the business of real estate and you're seeing the same thing I am, including our own company, because we reduced yeah. a little bit of our floor plan, yeah. um, we're seeing, you know, we're still getting a fair amount of commercial work, although there's small floor plate, you know, sort yeah. of work. And we're doing some adaptive reuse. But what are you seeing on sort of the leasing side, uh, sort of the direction or the pivots? Yeah, it's it's very quiet on the broker. The office brokers are, are pretty quiet. Um, We're spending a lot of time with our brokers to help them have conversations with clients around space utilization and all the topics we just talked about. 
from a cost reduction point of view, some leaders are, you know, eager to say, oh, what if I cut my real estate by 50%? You know, what will, what will that do? And, and, you know, we have to really put some science around that and work with folks like NOR that would help us take clients on that journey and say, okay, what's the workplace of the future look like? And what compelling reason are you going to give people to come in the office? If you say, I want you in the office three days a week, and it's a really awful, uninspired space that's dated, well, it's kind of a hard sell. It's kind of a hard sell. So I think instead of massive workplace renovations, it's going to be more of a reinvention of things to make it a really uh, inspiring place to be. So specifically, some of our large clients are doing cafe programs, for example. They're taking their break room and they're doubling it or tripling it or and making it look and feel like a high energy space. And it might be even off the lobby now. And that is the hub of energy for the for the office. And it'll look like kind of like a Starbucks. You know, you've got cafe tables and almost, uh, the, you know, the long stool height tables and uh, good food, healthy food that you're offering people when they come in. Same thing with hospitality. You know, you, you'll see a highly energized lobby of a hotel is a is a hub in a buzz and it and it feels good especially when you're bringing a young person in to interview for a job you know they're like oh this is cool i want to work here so yes a lot of companies are reducing space jll is also i mean we reduced space at our headquarters in chicago which was breaking news on cranes chicago <laughs> oh my gosh jll is reducing their floor plan and aon center but that was a good business decision we also have suburban office location, which actually is growing more, right? So, okay. so we're looking at, you know, actually growing a suburban office uh, closer to where a lot of people are. So te- entire teams have located out there. So out to uh, uh, Nero O'Hare Airport. So um, yes, reductions are happening. The leasing rates, uh, I, you know, there's a big concern with you know, you've you've everyone's read about it. The big holders of commercial office space, there's a worry about potential defaults and 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 all of that. So there's a big scramble to uh, what the brokers talk about: blend and extend, um, which we did in the last big downturn years back. Is get people to you know stay at the same rate, but extend out a few more years and trying to weather through this and. It is uh, a bit of a musical chairs to get some extensions signed before these notes are due on 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 some of these big loans. So there's also a movement, and I see you have it down the way. And you mentioned the term adaptive reuse, which can make which can be a few things. We are doing a lot of studies around the fact that yes, we have a lot of inventory of office, and in in our market, there's a lot of suburban office stock that we don't even include in the statistics because they're dated. You know, we talk about a class A, B, C. These aren't even C. Um, so I think um, the demo contractors will have a very big search <laughs> in business over the next few years. It's simply taking down office that cannot be adaptively reused into something else effectively. So you're better off not holding and securing the asset. You're better off turning it back to Mother Nature and holding the asset for a future use. Now, we have been doing a lot of studies around converting office to residential. 
Mm -hmm. lots of them, uh, lots and lots around the country. Some of our big, big holders of office buildings have asked us to look at some key assets. And, you know, this is a design architectural instruction and structural engineering study, first and foremost. How does it lay out? Will the, can the office really hold plumbing load? Um, you know, you're adding showers, bathrooms, kitchens. Can that floor plate handle plumbing load? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times the answer is no. So then you, you, it's a short study. And I, I say lead with the structural study first and, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of a floor plan layout. Um, but you'll really quickly get to a point where it's like, no, it's not going to work. Now, California, there's a little trend that we're starting to hear. And California, of course, and that's uh, vertical farming, mm-hmm. In, um, hydroponic inside farming, where you're literally growing fruits and vegetables inside what was a former office building, which sounds absolutely crazy. But when you think about it, um, you can control uh, you can control the use of any sort of pesticides, bugs, pests. Yes, you're consuming a lot of energy because you're lighting, you know, you're, you're lighting and you've got more water. But I would like to see the study on that. What is, you know, what's the net, what's the net zero or, you know, what's the impact on our environment of this? Because you're using a lot of energy and a lot of water uh, to do this. But it is something we're hearing about. So, you know, it's not new, um, no. but the concept of going vertical is is crazy. So. Anyway, so adaptive reuse is a big study um, into residential, even hotel. So I'm sure you're seeing that as well. We are. I, I think um, some of the projects that we're doing, adaptive reuse, is exactly what you say. The, the number one is probably the residential. But as you well know, and to the one of the points you were making, it works if the building shape is a certain way. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. It depends on the existing building. It's it's a lock if it's a certain shape and certain height uh, for the performer to work out. And if yeah. not, usually the second one is we're seeing a lot of health science uh, adaptive reuse I- into that. Mm. And it's funny that you you mentioned the vertical farming or the, even the urban farming. It was huge like years ago, and it, it sort of dissipated. And I'm not really sure why, especially in the area that you and I live, you know, in yes. that sort of Detroit metropolitan area, where there's a lot of old, empty buildings that were perfect for it. Yeah, right. Yeah, we shall see. But, you know, it's, there's a lot of moving targets, and uh, we'll see. But I think the current support and messaging by a lot of companies are the office is not going anywhere. It's very important. It's just going to function differently. And people want to be inspired when they go there. So there, there's some specific design trends that you you all know and we, we're working with as far as soft space, living rooms, and that cafe concept. So yeah, so we'll and see. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because uh, in the last episode, I sort of uh, mentioned, I just touched on very briefly because I'm hot and cold on trends, you know, yeah, as, a, as a designer. But you know, the whole resumercial sort of thing that's kind of coming around. But I bring this point up because you mentioned the cafe and I did talk about it in the last episode that it, it is always ironic to me that it's going that direction because we've designed it that way for a while in different, you know, commercial 
offices that we've done because it does eventually end up being the gathering space whether you want it or not and i sort of use the analogy like when we throw house parties it doesn't matter how how nice you make the living room everybody piles into the kitchen right um it's just a natural gravitation for people and so it makes a total sense to turn that to a gathering space in the office it's kind of caveman of us right it's uh you know being near where fire is and where food is prepared ah you know when we have house parties, I make sure I put the bar in the other room far from the kitchen so people have to go <laughs> get a drink uh, in the other side of the family room or something. But yes, um, yeah. It's, and I, it's, I did actually mention that, that, you know, at one time in a period in our history that it was the only heat source in somebody's home. So that's where people hung out. Yeah. Naturally. Yes. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. In our so DNA. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree with you. One of the points is you, to bring people back to the office, you you have to have something for them. And I'm not a proponent on bringing people back just to have them sit on Teams meetings. That doesn't make sense either. So what are you seeing to get people back and how much, obviously technology plays a part, but sort of the, the secondary part of that question is the AI component mixed in with also trying to bring people back. Yeah, AI, uh, you know, it's it's it is it is changing. People are understanding how how AI can be used. Um, and our company's no exception. Exception. Last month we launched JLL GPT, which I have used a couple of times. And University of Michigan launched their own U of M GPT, which basically accesses open AI with some filters for accuracy within within a world, right within the the JLL world. So. AI is changing. It's making things a lot easier, faster. I was able to answer a client's question, which was very detailed around possible incentives across different work, uh, across different asset classes, adaptive reuse again. I had a developer from out of town looking at an office building. He wants to convert it either to residential or hotel, and he wants it to be sustainable. So I opened up our GPT. And I said, what tax incentives would be available in the city of Detroit for office to hotel? And it gave me like 10 answers, very detailed, extremely well written. And I said, okay, what about to a hotel? And then I said, oh, you just, it's a conversation. GPT Mm -hmm. is a conversation. You just keep asking. It's kind of like Google on steroids. And I just kept asking it questions. I said, okay, what if this building needed to be sustainable or net zero? And then boom, another quarter page came out. So as far as productivity for me in answering a question that I did go through and make some edits um, and put in my own comments, it took me about all in two minutes. That would have taken probably an hour and a couple emails. That's one kind of question. You know, one of the examples I saw was in design narratives. Give me a office building that, is, you know, you just describe it and all and renderings are showing up. Right. right? It's, it's, it's scary for anyone that's, um, you know, in, in the creative realm. Of course, it's just a picture. There's a lot that goes yeah. behind a picture. But for an architect or designer, it could kind of speed up that visual discovery process with a client so 
so AI is is changing uh, a lot. Um, there's a, a young data analyst at our firm that was demonstrating it, and he had said that he was stuck writing code, and he had a question. He was just not. He was having a hard time finishing this line of code. So he went out to OpenAI. Um, it was actually part of Snapchat. GPT mm-hmm. asked the question on the line of code. The line of code came up in two seconds. He copied, pasted it, and tested it, and it worked. So he's like, my job will be eliminated. So there's a lot of fear there, you know, which is why we have this writer strike in Hollywood. There's a lot of fear around open AI, you know, writing things pretty well. So it's very scary. Companies have got to have policies around it in how to use it, how not to use it, when not to use it. And, you know, there's hearings last week with with all of the big heads of the big tech companies testifying. And without a question, they all said regulation needs to happen, especially around deep fakes mm-hmm. as we're coming into election cycle. So AI is going to change everything for sure. To your other question around the expectation of, of technology in the workplace, huge expectations. I mean, it is, look, look, at, look at us, look at my day today. I'm starting out in home office, then I'm going to a site, then I am going to my office. Uh, and then I'm actually back downtown. I'm going to jump at a jump into a, a coffee shop before a late afternoon meeting. I want a seamless connection with my technology from place to place to place. You know, the iPhone is the example of intuitiveness. I have a new car. It's basically an iPhone on wheels and it's intuitive and it's quick and it's seamless. So huge expectations on if I'm jumping into a conference room, I want that monitor up on the wall to I know it's me. And immediately, if I push share screen, I'm up. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in business. I'm not looking for a tether to plug in. I'm not struggling or frustrated. It is immediate for that. So anyway, so yeah, huge expectation that the technology needs to support me anywhere I go in a very seamless fashion. And the 20-somethings coming out of school, their their expectations are even more intense. Um, so those 20-somethings, how do you get them back in the office, in your opinion? I, I've had, I, I mentor pe- young people. Um, I had a young man that was coming out of University of Dayton, and he had a he had a job offer where he could work 100% remote and he was going to move up to the family cottage in Northern Michigan. And mm. he was so excited. He's like, oh my gosh, I can work remote. And I said, you know, I got to tell you, your growth and development as a person out of school will stop. And in a couple of years, you will not be as an employ- as employable uh, to take it to the next level. Because the research, again, shows that a young person will have seven or eight jobs during their career, or even more. So if you assume in two years' time he'll be ready for the next thing, will he be a competitive candidate for the next thing? And I said, you will not. You will not. So he took a job where he's in the office a few days a week, loves it. You ask anyone that's been successful down the road, and they say they can name a person or couple people that were critical in their growth and development as a person in business, you know, a mentor of some sort um, was really key. So I think that's the message is that if you want to grow, learn and develop, yeah, you've got a freshly printed diploma, but that's just 
that's just a small portion of what you need to know to do your job. You're going to learn it by interacting with people. So you have to do that. You have to explain that, the benefits to them. It's always about the benefits to the employee. Why should I, you know, get up early, shower, shave, and put on clothes that have zippers and buttons (laughs) 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 And, and drive or take a train to the office? Tell me what's the benefit to me to doing all of that, you know? Well, you're going to grow, you're going to develop, you're going to be more successful, you're going to be promoted. Now, I'll tell you an example. Our office in Toronto, okay, JLL Toronto, during the Q4 layoffs, which a lot of companies had, um, we did tighten our belts and made some pretty difficult decisions all over the world for our company. But in Toronto in particular, because I was talking to a friend up there, the folks that were separated were the ones, generally speaking, that never showed up into the office during COVID, during COVID and shutdown. They they just were like, I'm never going in. Well, out of sight, out of mind. It's the raw reality of it. So come January of this year, occupancy was up to like 85%. Wow. Where Q4, it was like 25%. So the message was like, hey, do I like my job? Do I like my company? Do I enjoy my colleagues? Well, if it's yes, yes, and yes, get to the office and make a contribution and see and be seen, learn and teach. You know, even if you've been in your role for a couple of years, you could help a younger person coming into the firm. So you're learning, you're teaching, you're growing. Uh, That's inspiring. And um, you get people to the office beyond a free lunch or a happy hour. You know, the space has to be right. And what happens there has to be right. And, and I think the other piece on the culture and management training is companies need to examine the leadership skills of their managers and say, okay, how are you being? Are you an inspiring leader? Are you making it a great place to work? Are you supporting your people? Managers have to be paying way more attention to the well-being of their employees than ever before because you're seeing them less. They're out on their own um, a couple days a week or so, but you've got to touch base and you've got to say, okay, how's it going? You know, let me know what I can do to help you. And, you know, that's so management has to change to support all of this. And you have to be way more attentive to the needs of your employees than than I think ever before. No, great words. And I think you you touched on a big one. The despite what any office does, the common thread always is going to be mentorship. And if you yep. don't have that, boy, it affects everything. Yeah. How are you gonna grow? Right. So here's a big question. Yes, sir. And I'm going to ask you to to look into your crystal ball here. Okay. So (laughs) looking down the road, where do do you see office going, the corporate office? Let's say three, five, ten years from now. I think it's going to be where some companies already are right now, where you have way less individual space. And for years, I mean, going way back to my early part of my career, you know, the term, oh, it's less me space and more we space, you know, that little phrase, right? Mm. I think the workplace is going to be even more intensely a place to collaborate and share ideas. So what does that look like? 
That means when I come to the office, I do have a place to drop down, hopefully proximate to other people on your team, right? So not wildly free address work style, but unassigned, but neighborhooded, I'll say. That's probably not a word, but neighborhoods (laughs) generally co-located with people in your work group when you're in. A very deliberate attempt to be together. My team has lunch every Tuesday together and generally in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, except for client demands. But but people are going to be deliberate about coming in and they will learn about what they're doing there. Like you said, I don't want to go to the office to be on Teams meetings and to do emails. You know, there's certain tasks that is heads down, concentrated work that maybe you're going to do on a Monday and a Friday. Um, and when you're in the office, most of what you're going to do is connect. So it's got to be pleasing to the eye. And I said earlier, things like soft seating vignettes, like living rooms with a screen that has the best technology for connectivity and, and, and idea sharing. You know, the big trend the last several years has been these little phone booths. Like if I need to make a private conversation, I can jump into a little room or a little phone booth or a small conference room and do that. So um, it'll be choice. I think the biggest word going in the future down the road is going to be choice. I want to have a choice of how I work, where I work, and who am I meeting with. So this the the meeting opportunity and the element in the office have to align. Like if I just want to have a casual conversation, Maybe I'm in a corner niche with a couple soft chairs and a table and just having a face-to-face. There's no technology involved or a small conference room with a few people to show them a quick idea on my laptop. So anyway, that's I, I think a lot of the leading edge trends will continue. Surge capacity for all hands has to happen. The ability to morph the space to handle an entire office meeting which can be a stressor on parking, of course, and in, in, you know, in a lot of mm-hmm. settings, because maybe your your space is designed to have 60 or 70 percent of your people in. But there's going to be four times a year where you're going to have everyone in at the same time. And I've seen brilliant but simple ideas on how to handle a surge of increased 20, 25 percent people that do need to work there for a few hours while there's an all hands meeting. You'll also see conference centers as an option for these things, too. We talk to landlords. Landlords want to know what should we be doing to attract and retain tenants, right? So a lot more tenants are putting in building amenity spaces like those cafes, like a conference center, so that the tenant doesn't have to spend a lot of time and effort designing their space for that surge capacity, but they can simply check out a larger meeting room that's part of the building. So landlords are responding and doing those types of almost co-working spaces with conference settings. Well, Tim, I can't thank you enough for your time. You and I we're gonna, are going to keep talking about this because okay. we always do. But I have one other question I'm going to throw out. Yeah. Give me your three favorite bands. <laughs> a little oh, bit of man. a snipe question at you. I, I tell you... Um, I mean, going back to my my first album I ever bought was the Eagles. Okay, mm. and they are touring again, not the entire band, but um, Eagles. I of lately, you know, the last recent ten years, I really like Coldplay a lot. Mm. Um, and you know, I like a lot of um, there's there's so many, 
you know, younger kind of pop artists that cross over that I really think are brilliant, like Ed Sheeran. Mm. Um, he's not a band, he's a guy. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that would be that it my my musical tastes are so diverse. I enjoy music. I'll go blues, jazz. I think in my in my core is rock. That's just my age and you know my my kind of my up upbringing. Oh, another band that comes to mind from my youth was Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Oh yeah, um, one of the first concerts I went to um, was Bob Seger, and he had a wonderful long career. And I saw him only about five or six years ago. The last time now he's he's kind of done touring but anyway yes so those are my bands how about you oh i'm much like you i'm very eclectic but um as you may or may not know i i'm also a musician um Ooh. and so i i play a lot of different things um as of late i've been studying a lot of bob dylan's music um a little bit of donovan's music so that's oh, kind of wow. what that's kind of where i'm at right now as far as playing but the reason I mention it is um, for the podcast, I do all the bumper music myself. So oh. I'm going to try to find something and play it and uh, intermix it. Okay, I can't wait, <laughs> wait to hear it. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, okay. don't 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 judge me totally on that. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I, I really uh, I look forward to following your podcast. And what's the platform that you're going to use? You're going to put it on um just the like my Apple podcast app, I can find it there. Yeah, um, right now it's actually on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on Google, and it's on iHeart. Oh, wow. That's all the biggies. Yeah. I've no excuse them. for anyone not to find your podcast. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I love, I listen to podcasts all the time. I love them. Yeah. yeah. So it's good. Well, I thank like you it. again, Tim. And like I said, you and I will continue to talk about this. Yeah. Subject. And um, thanks for inviting me to participate in your podcast. Once again, big thanks to Tim for offering his time and insight into this pivotal subject of future of office work. Tim can be found on LinkedIn, and I've placed a link to JLL Detroit in the LinkedIn post and the X Twitter posts so you can see the work that JLL is doing under Tim's leadership. As always, I appreciate your support for Where Do We Go From Here? And if you're liking the content, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same as I'm hoping to grow this podcast organically through your support. This podcast can now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. I welcome your feedback and questions on this episode, and if you have any ideas for future episodes, I would absolutely love to hear them. For any such feedback, feel free to contact me at catello.scott at gmail.com. That's C-A-T-A-L-L-O period S-C-O-T-T at gmail.com. And please tune in next month for episode four in the series, Workplace, past, present, and future when I interview two of my favorite people from Steelcase to get their thoughts on workplace design and the future of the corporate office. Till then, Tim, true to his word, gave me a wide range of his musical tastes to select the bumper music. However, since we're both located in Detroit, Tim, I decided to choose Bob Seeger, a Michigan native, for the outro music. 
So enjoy a short instrumental of me playing my version of Night Moves minus the bass. Sorry, Tim, I left it at work the day I recorded this. Enjoy. Enjoy. 